everybody, and welcome to the Money Made Easy podcast. We're your hosts, Angelica and Tisha. We're here to make it easier to talk about and learn about all things money, earning it, saving it, and investing it. So let's talk money, honey. On to this week's show. Hello, hello, everybody. We are so excited. We have on the author of our first book club book, and you may be listening to this currently or later in the future at some point. So don't let that hang you up because it's not going to be all around that. It is going to be all around her book, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. So let's welcome Barry Tesler to the show. Hi, hello, Barry. Hello. Hi. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for writing this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, wow. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And it's crazy to even use the word beautiful with a book about money. But the art of money, I mean, you can see how something could be beautiful. Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what you do is you make money um, accessible and you make it you take away the shame and mm -hmm. um it's it's and you come from a dance background and you kind of make the, the money a dance so yeah. let's let's get into your background and what brought you here we always with each of our guests love to hear people's stories about did they talk a lot about it when they were growing up did they talk about money was it never mentioned was it was there shame around it so go ahead and share your story please okay um this is great there are things that I'm going to share that I haven't shared in a while I mean number one I didn't talk about money as a kid in some way I mean here here's my story I wanted to be a solid gold dancer at the age of seven you know that was like my first <laughs> So I, I, I may date both of you on that, but that was a wonderful show. Nope. I I, I, you yeah. might, you might date Angelica on that. <laughs> Not you. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to be solid gold, dance, solid gold dancer. Number one, number two, at the age of 12, I wrote a report on uh, a career report on what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I want to be a businesswoman. I had no idea what kind of businesswoman. <laughs> and I mostly did that because my father was a businessman and in real estate. And so I want, you know, there was this, like, I want to be like my father. And, you know, um, so there was that. Um, then at the age of 16, 17, I asked my parents if I could go to therapy. And which was, you know, unusual. Kind of out of the blue, random. Did, no. you, did you go through a breakup or what? No, I, I, you know, I was an aware child, even, and, and a sensitive child. Um, and I tried to hide all of that. I mean, I think I, you know, I, I, I also, I, I, I just knew that I was playing a lot of games socially. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of what was important to me, who I was. Um, I was, you know, teenage years, like I, I was having a lot of fun. I was very rebellious. And I, you know, I, some of my girlfriends I'd heard had gone to therapy. So it wasn't that out of the norm. And um, yeah, I, I, in my wild rebellious teenager state, I said, let me go to therapy. Now they sent me to a male therapist and they sent me to a talk therapist, both of which did not work, but it was a stepping stone. You know, it was a stepping stone for me. I think I just played games you know, like mind games with a therapist, talking games instead of getting to the bottom of it. And so this leads into um, me going to undergrad, not having any clue what I wanted to do still with my life, really. Like, so Saligo dancer, businesswoman, started going into therapy, was interested in psychology, did my undergrad in history um, with some women's studies and African-American studies. And walked away still having no idea. Like on some level, I feel like my undergrad was not useless because that's what led me to graduate school where I finally realized what I wanted to do. But in those years, what happened, and I'm telling the story, I haven't mentioned anything about money. I don't get to money until 28. So, but at the age of 23, I decided to go to Israel to learn more about my heritage. And um, I also had to say to no, no to my father. He wanted me to go to Japan. I had been learning Japanese for a few summers. I could um, 
uh, order sushi at the sushi bar, which was thrilling for me at that time. That's his, you know, and then he wanted me to teach English in Japan, come back knowing Japanese and be able to work in business with him. And at the last hour, I said, no, that's not my path. I'm going to Israel. He said to me, that's the biggest mistake of your life. I came back a year later. He said, wow, that was the best thing you ever did. Um, and in Israel, I was jogging on a kibbutz. I was milking cows too at five in the morning, <laughs> but I was also jogging, which is unusual for me. And in, in the middle of a jog, I got an insight that, you know, about my history. I love dancing. I grew up dancing. I'm really into psychology. I put them together. I, in that moment, thought I made up dance movement therapy. I didn't make I up anything, that. but I got to Jerusalem really quick and learned that there was graduate programs in dance movement therapy and somatic body-centered psychotherapy. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I have to know, why did your dad say after you came back from Israel, that was the best year you spent, you know, that was the best way you could spend that year when he was so against it to begin with? I think I had really come into my own. Ah, and he saw that. Yeah, me and my father are very similar. Um, and then I've had to transmute a lot of negative patterns as well. So my money stories right. are um, in rebellion of him mm -hmm. um, to some degree. And I'll tell that story in a second. I'll, I'll complete this story. So I got myself to graduate school in somatic psychotherapy. From the ages of 24 to 28, I came back from Israel, moved to Boulder, Colorado, went to this incredible program, Naropa University, right? So this is, I'm 52. This was many yes. years ago, right? So uh -huh. 24 to 28, and the topics that I studied that I thought I would, I thought I'd be working with couples around intimacy and sexuality and sensuality. I thought I'd be working around body and food and death and grief. Those were my topics. That was it. I worked in the mental health field. Um, I worked in bereavement and hospice. I did overnight care with elderly people that were getting ready to pass. I led authentic movement groups. Nothing about money yet, right? Here, like what? <laughs> so basically what happens is to complete this story and then I'll tell the story about money and my father a little is that at 28, my student loan came due. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment where I was making $11 an hour in the mental health field with a master's degree in psychology. And I just, you know, I totally freaked out. Like, how am I going to pay this back with, you know, working for nonprofits how, as a social worker? How the heck am I going to do this? Okay, then wait a second. What did I learn in graduate school? Wow, we never talked about money. We never talked about money as we were training to be therapists. Nothing about how I was going to work with couples. And if on the surface, money is the biggest issue, that's not really the issue. It's we don't know how to have, you know, have healthy, compassionate conversations around money. You know, we don't know how to communicate well about money, right? And, and so th there, that was a missing piece. Nothing about how to set up a private practice, do my own bookkeeping, let alone what was my own relationship to money? Did we ever explore that ever, 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 never, never, never? I, you know, that was all like in one a moment of your student loan is due. I finally opened up the bill. And then, you know, it was either like, I'm going to run away forever and never come back. I like to present myself with options, <laughs> you know, and then go, okay, no, I'm going to face it. Like I have every other big, difficult, challenging topic in my life. I'm going to learn everything that I can from the ground on up. I wound up learning bookkeeping first and then running a bookkeeping business as a transition before I started my financial therapy work. Now, the other piece of this was that I grew up middle class um, in Chicago, and my family owned um, a few buildings, and they also then went into um, the gay bar business with my beloved uncles, and they, they owned all the first and ran all the first gay bars in Chicago. And my dear beloved uncles were a huge part of my upbringing and my life. And I miss them dearly. Um, and the thing with me and my father, though, was that, or, you know, the, there were, there were, there was generosity around money growing up the way that I did. I certainly had, you know, a, a nice things. I could go take dance classes, things like that. Um, and then there were a lot of unspoken conditions and rules that were never made clear to me. And it was used certainly as a weapon, 
you know, it was, it was used, you know, um, go get a job this weekend, you know, at 15 going on 16. Now I love that. And, you know, years later, and I hated that in the moment, like dad, give me some skills around how to interview or what about what are my values or can I get a job doing something I enjoy or like, and I don't even know what that is yet. And so it was just go off, get a job, you know, report back with five jobs that you've applied to and get a job by the end of the weekend. Okay. I did that, you know, or um, one more thing in college, he would make me um, photocopy all of my bank state, not my bank statements, that little paper register that we used to use from the bank back in mm-hmm. the day, you would manually enter in, right? So I would add in every, all the expenses and, um, and then I would photocopy and send it to him weekly, but then that was it. There was no conversation about what my limits were, about what a budget was, about what he would like me to spend or not. Spend. There was no, you know, so then there, there, there were, I could tell more stories, but there, you know, that seems kind of light, but there were more extreme stories that happened where, um, there was generosity, which is wonderful. And then it was confusing because there were rules and guidelines that if I crossed over them, I didn't even know they were there. I would get in big trouble and he would remove money and hold it over me. So for me, there was a lot of control over around money. And um, I made a lot of vows, you know, like I needed to make my own money. I was never going to marry a man um, who had a lot of money or, you know, I needed, and I wanted marrying a man and when I was 35 and we both grew together, you know, and learned how to create a wonderful livelihood together. So there were just a lot of things that my, my money story both comes out of like, I'm similar to him in some ways. I have the chutzpah. I can only work for myself. I didn't realize that until 32, all these things. And yet there are a lot of things that he did or how he did business where where you have very different values. And then lastly, there's my mom over there. My my mom was the frugal one. And I'll just finish with this. Like she taught me, my dad was a spender. My mom was the frugal. And um, yeah, and and she's still very generous and like in, in, um, certain things. And then very frugal. She loves her Folgers coffee, you know, and I get my fancy coffee. So, you know, so, and then there's stories there too, but that's a, that's a, oh, that's a tiny bit. (laughs) That's a tiny bit about my story. I loved hearing the story about your father because it made me come to the realization of one of the things about, like, I remembered, uh, it wasn't because you tell us to remember our first money thing. And I was like, well, maybe it was when I was 14 and I went and got a job because I just wanted to make my own money. But then when you told the story about your father, it reminded me of how my father used to take my car and go fill it up with gas. And I knew that he did that because he cared for me and he didn't want me to do that. And so it reminded me that that taught me to receive I, I, I connected those two things. Um, and it was so special that, you know, it's like, oh, that's because I do feel like, you know, I do meditations on receiving and I think receiving is so important, but I do feel like I was lucky and that I was taught that early on that I was taught that, you know, it's important to receive because it's, because that made him feel good doing that for me. So. Yeah, I think we, it's, that's one, that's a beautiful memory. And I think hopefully we do all have some positive memories, right? Or money memories or life memories with our parents, grandparents, whoever was raising us, you know? Um, and then it's not all negative because a lot of us remember the negative. Oh, know? there's, <laughs> there's plenty of that in there too. I mean, not, not yes. necessarily with my parents, but just, um, uh, I got divorced uh, 14 over 14 years ago. And, um, because I paid the bills, I thought I knew about money, <laughs> like writing a check is knowing about money. And then, in, it, you know, it's it one took me a long time to realize, Oh, you, there's no one to call now and say, we need this amount of money in the checking account so I can pay all the bills. <laughs> Okay. So you handled all of that, but he was the main income earner. Is that what? Oh yeah. I was, I had four kids. I was a stay at home mom. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yes. 
very yeah. complicated. And that's what, that's what made us want to start this podcast because we talk about, we aren't the money experts. We just both want there to be more conversation about money and we want it to be easier to talk about and learn about and demystify it. Well, here's the thing, you know, I'm 20 years in, right? And 20 years in since when I started my first financial therapy um, class with 10 people over a six week period, you know, but the transition then before that was like three or four years of learning bookkeeping. Um, because before that, as you read in the book, you know, the bank, bank statements would come and I would throw them away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I'm still like, okay, so let's say 24 years now, I'm still learning new things. Every year I'm still updating um, different parts of my bookkeeping system or learning new things or learning more about investments or getting a new person on my financial team. Or, you know, like last year having a cash flow dip for half the year and how do you work with that? It doesn't, it doesn't mean like, or I still have I still have emotions around money. Mm -hmm. How about that? You know, I mean, I have all the tools now and how to work with all of that, but it's not like you're gonna. Okay, in my, there are certainly books out there and money experts out there, they're, they're going to tell you exactly how to do this, you know, how to live within your means, how to pay down your debt, how to blah, 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 you know, and yes. they're good books. There's some good financial literacy pieces in there, you know, um, but there's no one way. Um, there's no one right way. We all need to find our own way and our own intuition around this. And that's why I've created such a creative approach to it. And for me, financial literacy and emotional literacy have to be together. Mm -hmm. You know, that is like, that is number one. You know? Yes. The I, fact that you start with money healing, I think is so important. Well, because, such a big part of the book too, which yeah. is what I love about it. Well, a lot of people like only talk about that part, which I find fascinating because it's yeah. one of the phases there. There's the second phase money practices mm -hmm. and the third phase money maps. And those are all, there's so many practical tools in there. But right. Most people um, do when, sometimes when they write a review, review, review around the book, they only talk about the money healing. And I guess that that's the different part. That's the unusual mm -hmm. part. Um, compared to a lot of traditional money books. But that's where it goes back to all of my training as a somatic psychotherapist. Yeah. And if I didn't learn how to listen to my body and listen to messages and learn how to name my feelings and sit with them mm -hmm. and um, um, move them to the side eventually, you know, if I didn't learn all these tools, these somatic tools of how to be with emotions, sensations, I probably, who know, I feel like it saved me in my twenties. It allowed me to um, really step into adulthood. And then when I went to create a bookkeeping business, you know, most of those folks had no idea I had a master's in psychology. They threw their books at me. They wanted to have nothing to do with it. And you know what? They were all therapists and coaches and artists and some contractors. And I learned more about people and human nature and our spending patterns and our earning patterns and our values by doing bookkeeping during those years, then probably if I'd sat in therapy and it was also, I was 28 to 32. So I wasn't ready to hold the shingles. Like I'm a therapist at 28. I felt too young mm -hmm. where some people can, you know, I couldn't. And so I needed that time. Um, but yes, when I then went to go, I had a mentor during those years and really around the age of 32, when we moved to California and she saw what I was trying to do. She saw my training as a therapist. She saw all the depth of that. She saw the bookkeeping skills. I was doing her bookkeeping. We would sit and meet monthly and talk about it, which I loved, you know, that was unusual um, when I was doing someone's bookkeeping and she she one day sat me down and said, you know, it's, it's time for you to give a talk on your work. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, what work and talk in front of more than two people? No, I like <laughs> with, you know, a couple, like that's it. Or one person, you know, I, I certainly had a fear of public speaking in a huge way. And she just said, young lady, I, you know, young lady. I was 32, but I was young in some ways, old soul in other ways. She just said, it's time for you, you know, to, 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 
you know, integrate your past training as a therapist and all of those deep tools and practices with all of the practical systems that you're learning around bookkeeping and that you love. And she saw that I was trying to put it together, you know? So that's, you know, in a nutshell, I went on a long walk in the woods, came home to my tiny little cabin that me and my husband lived in a 350 square foot cabin in the redwoods that opened to a creek. We loved it. It was perfect. We did not feel like we loved it. It was, you know, but he put up white paper and he helped me name the three phases that are in the book. They were named differently back then. They were financial therapy, values-based bookkeeping and life vision planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's, you know, money healing, money practices and money math. So that was the start 20 years ago. And then I started teaching it, as I mentioned, in tiny little groups in my living room in an apple orchard um, of 10 people over and over and over, you know, um, until now, you know, it's online, it's a year long program. We have about 500 students each year. So let's, let's talk about all the in-between. What do you want? Yes. Let's dig into shame because that is healing money. Shame is like you get into it. So, and you, I love the quote where you say learning to recognize, understand and transform money. Shame is a cornerstone of money healing. And I think that is so important because I think so many people feel so much shame about it. So you don't, and, and that's where, you know, if you talk about shame, then it's, then it, it takes the power of the shame away. I feel like, so let's talk about, I love, I mean, there's so all the different quotes. I'm just not good with money. I can't be trusted with it. I, uh, you know, I'm too right brain creative and had and and bad at math to be good with money. I mean, people who have money are bad. You have so many quotes in the book that we've all heard that we've all said, and they all contribute to shame. And so we've got to, that's to me, like so important to get past that shame. So this was the first money emotion that I really recognized so strongly um, at the beginning and, you know, probably because I had to go through it. And then I just started seeing, you know, I saw shame before I saw anger or um, fear <laughs> or uh, sadness or checking out, you know, guilt. Like, I mean, shame was so big at the beginning. And, you know, shame is just, I'm not okay. I'm wrong. I suck at this. Something's the matter with me. And, you know, I'm stupid around money or if I didn't, I wasn't good at math growing up. So I didn't think I could do money. That was one of mine, you know, even though bookkeeping systems add up everything for you. So when I was finally taught a bookkeeping system, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) this is is amazing. You know, and I, I warn, gently warn my community, like you, one day you may come back to me and go, I am in love with a bookkeeping (laughs) system. And I get that a lot. Um, You know, so shame is I'm not okay. Something is really the matter with me. And I think I knew it so well, because as I was working on other big topics before money, shame came up so much for me around relationships and intimacy, you know, whoa, you know, and so I, it's a, it's a first one for a lot of us, like, I'm not okay. I suck. I'm stupid. If I came from a different family, I would have learned this. If I, you know, on and on and on, if I was a different makeup, I would, you know, would know this. And really like the first thing to know is that 99% of us did not receive a full complete financial education growing up, you know, in small increments. So there, right. There's just that. So we're not alone. Um, And no matter what family you come from, I see people from all different heritage and race and, you know, economic background and economic levels now. And we still all, some of us have strengths around money and we have challenges around money. And because it was not taught in our school systems or for most of us in our families, you know, we learn bits and pieces you know, there just is this overwhelming feeling. Everyone else knows this, but me, you know? So shame is like this cloak um, and it just hangs over and covers us. And, and we just feel, you know, embarrassed, awful, 
um, thick energy, foggy, thick energy, right? And it just came up so much. I remember people would call me um, when I had a phone back then and people would call me and get me on the phone to talk about my work. And they would ask me questions and I would talk with them. And, you know, that was a huge step that they did that, you know? And then sometimes I wouldn't see them in a class for a year later, sometimes three years later. You know, sometimes people would find me and be like, I saw your ad in this yoga magazine 10 years ago, you know, I haven't had an ad in a yoga magazine, you know, for a long, long time. And I, or I was cleaning out my closet and I found it and they're, they're ready. Like they're finally ready, you know, to do it now. So something in the shame move, but I, so there's that I did come up, you know, my first tool, um, the body check-in. So when people say to me, what's one tool? Like, what's the first tool? Is it learning your numbers, which I love and learning a book- bookkeeping system, which you, I just said, I love, you know, is it budgeting? Is it, you know, um, what, what is it paying down to your debt? You know, all of those very important things. But the number one tool for me is the body check-in. And it comes from, again, my somatic psychology background. And for me, this is the antidote to money shame. So a body check-in is something that I invite everyone to do once they learn it. And they probably are doing it in other areas of their lives, you know? So body check-in um, is simply stopping for, you know, five seconds, 30 seconds a minute. You can close your eyes if you want. You don't have to. And it's just checking in with your body on a physical level to see what's going on. Are you seated? Are your shoulders up? Are they down? You know, um, are your legs crossed? You know, are you standing? Are you sitting? Um, the next level is on a sensation level. What sensations are moving or still in your body? The next level, emotions, feelings. I'm trying to understand lately which word I'm, I want to use. Emotions, feelings, um, and what feeling is present, you know, yeah. right now around money. Is it shame? That's, that's a hard one, you know, to describe, but you can through sensations, maybe more than feelings. And then there are the the money, the emotions that I named around money, but they're the same emotions in every other area of life, you know, anger, anxiety, sadness, guilt, um, you know, um, there's more checking out I have a whole list. Like those are the ones that are coming to me right now. And so what's present right now. And then also the fourth level is like, what's going on in your breath. So is your, are you breathing way up in your neck? Are you breathing down more in your chest or is it down in your belly? How shallow, how full? That's a body check-in. Sometimes I like to end it with, is there any little adjustment I can make? Like shoulders down, loosening the jaw, shoulder shimmy. I'm a big shoulder shimmy gal. Um, Can you bring your breath down a little, you know? So, okay, what's what's the significance of this? It's, It's not like one and done. It's, I invite people to bring it to all the money interactions that you're going to start to notice even more now, right? That are happening daily. When you're going to go online and look at your numbers and be brave. When you're going to go do some online shopping. When you're going to go have a money conversation with your parents, with your spouse, with your honey, with your kids, with your clients, with your, you know, with your boss. There are daily money interactions when you're learning a bookkeeping system, when you're reaching out, you know, you're in the financial planner's office and you're just checking out. He's, he's telling you about an investment and you're like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, your eyes are glazing over, do a body check-in. When you're in the car dealership, go to the bathroom, do a body check-in. I have a great story about that um, in my book and I tell it a lot. So the body check-in is a tool to help you bring more awareness um, to your money story to, well, first to your money emotions and sensations and what's happening in all these different moments. Um, it leads to understanding of what are the set of sensations or emotions? What's the cocktail of emotions that comes up for you? Is there one or there are a few? What does it remind you of? What are the memories? And then that le- leads into you starting to have more understanding about what your money story is, the strengths, the challenges, right? Which we all have. What did you learn from your family? What did you not learn? What did you wish you learned? What are you still mad about? 
where can you add forgiveness? You know, so the body chicken is one of those practices to, to happen daily. You do it more and more and more. It's not like you immediately can calm yourself down, but down the road, you will. It's not immediately you'll remember to <clears throat> pause when you're doing some shopping and give yourself a 24 hour you know, little break before you make the decision or come with a set of questions like, do I really need this? Or do I just really want that? You know, want it? Or do I already have one in my closet? Or, you know, will I really enjoy this down the road? You know, and a body check-in for me is before the money interaction. It's during it in the heat of the moment. If you can remember, oh my God, I'm having huge feelings right now. I might need to go take a break, but let's go, let's do a body check-in. The other person doesn't need to know. And after is a debriefing, as a learning, what worked, what didn't, did I make a mistake? How can I do it different or better next time? So for me, this body checking goes on and on and on, you know, um, it's something to be practiced for years and fine tuned. And it's, you know, we start with the awareness, which leads to understanding, which leads to little shifts and changes in our actual money patterns. Um, and yeah, and shifting that into, you know, creating a, a, a healthy, right relationship with money that's, that, that feels better and that is more right and that's more successful. Well, and that's so important because one of the things you say is that shaming ourselves is an old unconscious pattern. And so by doing a check-in, we can finally break that pattern because you also talk about how uh, the path out of money shame isn't shaming yourself more or harder because that just it leads down you know it's a it just piles it on so you kind of do have to take a break and and that check-in that body check-in can set or certainly do that um it's a and good way to break the pattern certainly but please know like this is a journey it's a practice it's not you know it it takes time and yeah one I, body check-in we're not going to be done, done. Like we're never going to have any money emotions or life emotions anymore. Again, it's like, are you getting the tools? So when you're in the car dealership and you're starting to feel anxious or nervous or hyperventilate a little bit, which I tell a story that I did years ago, you, you were like, oh, let me go do a body check-in right here in the bathroom and take a moment to calm my breath down, ask myself, what's making me so anxious? Oh, I don't like to make fast money decision because this reminds me of the, 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 you know, so-and-so or this time. And you, you know, you go through what it, what's the emotion, you feel it, you work with your breath, you see if you can calm yourself down, you see what it reminds me of. And then you go into the practical, what practical steps do I need to do now? But the other little pieces that you've already hit on, it's not tough love. You know, I think tough love works in some areas of life. Not in this one. Um, I, 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 it never worked for me. And, and this is where the gentleness and the compassion does come in. So instead of repeating that I'm stupid, I don't know how to do this. How about replacing that with, well, yeah, none of us learned this, right? Or, okay, well, yeah, we, now I'm going to learn this. And I can learn this. And the only way you learn something new as an adult, you know, I'm teaching this to 25 to 75 year olds. And then recently we started getting a lot of 20 to 25 year olds coming with their mom and their dad, because we have a buddy pricing now. So they're, we have all these new configurations. So we're getting younger. Um, so we're learning as adults. That's a thing. Right. So it takes time. It takes patience. It takes beginner's mind. It takes, we need to add gentleness and compassion into this. And sometimes my community comes back to me and they're like, I hated when you would say this over and over. Cause I, I, you know, my side teachings, my smaller, I, I am saying over and over and over. And then by the end of the, the year, they're like, I'm so much kinder to myself when things come up. I don't come in and bash myself or like, you know, reinforce the old, thought patterns, the old beliefs, the old stories that maybe did happen or maybe didn't. And these are just things you've put on yourself, you know, certain expectations. And I've learned to unravel that. And part of it is bringing the gentleness and compassion to the body check-in and doing it over and over and over and, and seeing it as a learning practice and a tool. And you're, and I like little baby shifts. Some people are big leapers and I think the leaps come but I love the little, I'll take little, little shifts that add up to big leaps any day. Cause I think most of us need a slower, um, slower shifts to actually make real long lasting change. Well, and I feel like what 
you, so much of what you teach can apply to so many areas of our life, not just money. I love that you say awareness comes first, then understanding, and finally transformation. And that applies across the board in life. If you aren't aware that there's a problem, then how can you even think about trying to fix it? And so if you're not dealing with money, you're not aware that you have issues around it, you know, but if you go into that with shame or guilt or tough love, like you said, then you can't have understanding and then you can't have transformation. So, um, yeah, just love everything. Well, and I, I, you had mentioned earlier how much like people talk about the money healing a lot in the reviews and everything. And I mean, I think that's really where the core of like teachers that pretty much anything. I mean, I just started therapy this past year and it has been such a life-changing thing for me. And I think we often in life just look for like these concrete answers. Like we live in a society of instant gratification and we're constantly like, okay, once I learn this, then I'll get to this. And then this, it's like the step process. So we're, we always are looking for the step-by-step, but we, I think we get so caught up in that and we don't realize that what's actually stopping us is our emotions and the stories and the, that we tell ourselves and like the bad shame that we have on ourselves. And so that's been my transformation this year is like, wow, like I have so many goals for myself, but then I feel like, you know, I'm procrastinating because I haven't met them, but really like, what's the deeper meaning behind of all that. And so that's why I think the money healing is such a core in, in discussing, you know, your relationship with money. People don't even think about a relationship with money. You know, they're trying to focus on their other relationships in life. And so I think really diving into what really, what is causing these patterns and all of that is, is really what's going to make the change. The practicality, yes, is there, but you're never going to step into those, um, steps until you can really like hone in on what you had said, like finding your emotion, processing that emotion, sitting in that emotion is so key. I like to, oh yeah, I, I've learned that just recently and it's been life-changing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. I mean, clearly, you know, I'm a trained therapist and then yeah. I brought all of those tools and skills and perspectives um, that, that I was learning there and applying in every other area of my life to a relationship to money. Because when I first discovered, you know, that I didn't have one and I had an unhealthy one and I ignored it and didn't want to have anything to do with it and thought it was so boring and dry and dull. And I, I could go on and on, you know, that the only way I was going to have a relationship with it was if I could bring all the practices that I was already doing in all these other areas and applying and bring them over to money as well. Um, and, you know, I can tell countless stories of financial planners like, or, or a client coming to me and saying, I'm an accountant, not only that, but I'm working with a financial planner. They gave me a really clear financial plan that would be great, but I'm not sticking to it. Why? You know, or like what's going on and, you know, with her, it was a matter of her deeper values and bringing more meaning. Um, she was overspending like crazy, even though she made a high salary and worked an unbelievable amount of hours, you know, in a, in a traditional accounting firm. And we had to really get in there and understand like, what are her values? What's really important to her? What kind of, what is going on in her life? We're, you know, just really, really what her values were. And, you know, one of my exercises, you know, in the money practice section is to bring in your values and rename your regular categories, which are fine categories for some folks, really boring and dry for others, and rename them so you can actually see how you're earning, spending, giving, saving, investing, donating, et cetera, if it's in alignment with your values or not. And again, it's just an exercise, but all of this stuff, even the body checking, so simple when practiced really deep and really profound. And with her, when we really got in touch with what her values were, what's important to her, yeah, she had to, um, you know, let go of certain things, but she had other priorities, her top values that that's where she really wanted to be spending on. And then there was a lot of stuff that was just frivolous and she was doing it because she wasn't satisfied in certain areas of her life. So there was a lot of overspending. So that's why, you know, I've always loved to do, yes, all the pieces that I do. And then I hand them off to a financial planner and they're so much more prepared, you know, to sit down, they have their numbers, they know what their values are. They can look at life goals in a completely different way. 
you know, and staying on track with plans. It doesn't mean it's so easy, but you know, they have a lot more tools when they arrive. Yeah. One of the things that you talk about is, I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly, but Disconos. Yeah. Uh, well, you talk about how bringing our old money patterns hurts an unfinished business, brings them into awareness. Disconos uh, is our, uh, it's crosses on the roadside and it's common in the American Southwest and Mediterranean. I mean, I see them all, you know, all, all around the city even, um, but they mark a death. And so you talked about how bringing that to our money healing, it can, it, it marks an end of something, uh, whether it's um, the moment we turn down that high paying job or laying to rest the shame of a bankruptcy or the loss of a house, because those are tough things to get past. That can become your whole, you can, like, if you fail at uh, keeping your house and you have to, or if you have to declare bankruptcy or whatever, that can write the rest of your life. You can feel like a failure the rest of your life, or you can put that to death, so to speak, and find peace and honor ourselves and look at it as a lesson. And um, I love it. You say peace comes when we write love notes to them, adorn their graves with flowers and let them go. And that's huge to be able to forgive yourself in that way is just, I think, so just one of the examples that you give that's so huge to move forward lighter, freer, and at peace, because I think there is, is, you know, I mean, bankruptcy, losing a house, that's a big event in your life. And, but that's, but also even just paying a bill late, you talk about how even little things we can bring shame to, oh, paying a bill late. Well, okay. Instead of bringing shame to that, call up the company and see if you can get the late fee waived. That's such a simple little different way to handle that. Instead of heaping shame on yourself, call the company, see if you can get it removed. That's such an empowering little thing. And I love that you give those big, huge things, but you also give those little tips in this book. And that's why I just think it's so beautiful. Okay, let me talk about that for a little bit. So first I, I need to give credit and honor. That is from Clarissa Pinkola Estes's book, Running with the Wolves, right? That concept. Yes, mm -hmm. yes so, you do talk about that in the book. Yeah and, yeah, and so that comes from her tradition and um, it's, it's part of her heritage and her teachings. And I learned about that um, 25 years ago when I was taking a death class in graduate school. It was a weekend workshop um, on grief and death. And we had really big white paperboard on the floor and we were given, you know, a huge space to do a timeline and to make a cross and write out the moment, the cut, the pain, the betrayal, the mistake, you know, the event happened and to do that. And it wasn't about money, you know, it was just about other areas of our lives. And we did that. And, you know, I was 20 something, but it, it was, it was extremely powerful for me. Um, and so <clears throat> that was a concept that I used to teach. I, and it is in the book, I forgot about it, but you know, her, her book is a book that we'll come back to in decades and decades to come. You know, I, I read it in my twenties. I read it again in my thirties. I pick, I picked it up in my forties. I'll probably pick it up off the shelf in my fifties again and read one of the stories. You know, she's a true, um, I didn't know how to say it in Spanish, Corandora, a, a true storyteller, you know? And so the book is brilliant. Um, but how this applies to money, now you're touching on like five different <laughs> tools and practices that I teach. Um, that are both in the money healing and the money practice section. And, um, you know, the first concept, though, is that in a long life, in, in any, you know, in, in, a, in our lives, um, we're going to have really challenge, we're going to have beautiful things, and we're going to have huge, enormous challenges. I don't know anyone who doesn't get through a life, you know, um, with health issues, 
um, we all experience death, you know, um, we don't, we forget, but you know, like it's, it's a huge part of our year in anyone's yearly life. There's, you know, especially in the last year with a pandemic, you know, so many people have died. Um, there's divorce, there's bankruptcy there, you know, all, you've mentioned quite a few, there's more, we could go on and on. Right. And, um, these are all real, these happen, um, these happen to all of us, not all of them, of course, you know, but we are, we are touched by all of, we, by, by a lot of these. And, um, you know, in, in, our, in, our, in our life and in money, we are gonna have these challenging and beautiful things. So I always say in money and in life, there's ebbs and flows. So in money too, right? There's going to be ebbs, there's gonna be flows. There's gonna be huge transition moments. And, so I, you know, this even happened to me after I had my one and only son just shy of my 40th birthday and we had beautiful conception and a pretty good pregnancy besides the four months of throwing up. And then I had a huge complication in my labor that I write about in the book. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen on the other side. Now we both made it we, and we're both healthy. Um, and I had a long road to recovery after, after that. Um, and lots of change, lots of changes needed to happen in my life and in my business and my, and in my money. Um, we went through a really lean time because I let go of, I chose instead of continuing my business as it was with my full team of bookkeeping trainers and financial coaches and two assistants, you know, I decided to let go of all of that within my son being four months old, because I really wanted to be with him. I really needed to recover and I needed to change my business model. And so we went from like being pretty flush, you know, and having some savings, but it was a really expensive time, you know, with health issues that happened. And, and so we had to be, we were really going through a lean time. My husband also literally got laid off, like within a week or so of us finding out we were pregnant from his big tech job. So, you know, like th these things happen. They, in the timing of it, you, none of this, you know, you can't plan out life so perfectly that you don't have curveballs. you do. So in these transition times, first of all, please just honor, honor, you're in a transition. Yes, it, it may feel really uncomfortable, may, may feel really hard. You may think you'll never change or be in a different place. You will, right? These don't last forever, but we don't know how long, right? Ours lasted, you know, kind of two years before, and I didn't sleep in really through a night until my son was three. And then I got energy back again and grew my business again, you know? Um, so, you know, we all go through transition times. We all go through ebbs. With money, there are times where we're earning more and saving more and giving more and donating more. And, you know, like, and then there's some years where we're not doing any of that. And we're just trying to barely squeak by living within our means. And other years we are barely, you know, holding up over the water you know, we're in other years where we're needing to use savings or debt or so that's real life. That's real to me. And there's layers to this of tools that are both, as I mentioned, in the money practice section about honoring the life phase that we're in, um, even giving it a name. Usually I work with people after the fact when they've gone into debt and I sit down with them and I say, okay, let's really look at how this debt was accumulated. You know, was it frivolous spending? And did you really have a good time? Tell me about it. Like, what did you do? You know, where did you travel to? Um, or was it, you know, because one of you um, were in a health crisis and you, you know, accrued medical bills. Um, if you live in the US, you know, that happens a lot with our, current medical system, you know, um, were you starting a business? Were you leaving your job, your corporate job and taking the leap and being brave and starting your own business? And you might've had some savings, you know, for that transition, but you needed more. And so I, I sit down and I want to know really what was this time for you? Let's honor it. Let's name it. Sometimes even in that it forgiveness happens new awareness happens. And yes, I love renaming. I even love renaming a debt. So it's not that damn um, credit card bill. 
it's, you know, my wife survived cancer and, uh, you know, and I have more time with her. Wow. Right? That's, that's okay. so powerful. I love that. Yeah. I, well, I did. It was a male accountant who thought at first that it was kind of silly to rename things. It's not part of his traditional training. And then he did and came on to, you know, his medical bill dead and, you know, honored what it was for and that he still, his wife is, 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 is um, a survivor and made it through. And, and, you know, the, I, I hear stories like that over and over and over. So renaming, but it's also like, these are little teeny tools that add up. There's a lot, there's the forgiveness piece, there's honoring, and there's more here, you know, of honoring. Oh, you have so much. Your book <laughs> is filled with it because it's yeah. like yeah. growing our sense of value and overcoming the under earning from the inside out is one of my favorite things. You've got a list of like nine different things, but just focusing on your success and every little step you take as a victory and um, deleting all the negative self-talk and replacing like, I'm not smart. I'm not good enough. Replacing it with I'm smart. I'm capable. My voice needs to be heard. I mean, those things to me are so huge. And when you talk about how our willingness to be uncomfortable is what is because we're shifting a pattern and that is the uh, such a big thing you know not looking at our bank statement it can become what's comfortable and so just even the simple act of opening you know it's like you have to get comfortable with looking at your bank statement and looking at how much money you have that's got like one of the babyest baby steps because you know if you can't do that we're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I couldn't do that years ago. And right. I didn't know how to do that. And I was terrified to do that. And half the people that come to me, it's a baby step and it's a huge step. So to sit someone down, to metaphorically hold their hand, to get them to start learning how to do a money date in a whole different way. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening in on episode 40 of the podcast. Isn't Barry incredible? I mean, her voice is so soothing too. She is a true calming presence in the money world. In this first half, we talked all about embracing your money journey and money healing. And in this next half, we will be diving more into the last two sections of her book, money practices and money maps. We hope you're taking notes because these episodes are jam packed with amazing information. Stay tuned next week for part two. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. The Money Made Easy podcast is here to educate, uplift, and empower you to feel confident in your financial decisions. Have any questions? Email or DM us on Instagram. Remember, you start by starting. Take one small and actionable step towards your financial goals today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Might as well hit that subscribe button while you're there. And we'll see you next Money Monday.